Welcome to Golf Better at Edwin Watts Golf. Episode 105. Hello everyone, my name is Tom Purcell. Thanks so much for joining us. Seems like we say it every time and we mean it. If you're a first-time listener or you're a long-time subscriber, either way, you've found your way to us and we're glad you're with us. And Kenny, I'm glad you're with me today because this is going to be a good one. Absolutely. Um, one of the joys of this job is uh, this particular podcast show that we do and today's guest is wow all i can say just truly amazing yeah we've been a uh, hundred plus episodes and uh, i think if we retired after this one <laughs> it'd probably be complete the winner of seven major championships four of a masters one u.s open two open championships and also the u.s amateur the man who brought the game to us on tv the man who brought the game into our living room and the man we all love and follow Mr. Arnold Palmer. Mr. Palmer, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's nice to be with you. And an early Happy Father's Day to you, Mr. Palmer. Ah, thank you. You know, speaking of fathers, most of us got started in the game by our father, and you had a real unique relationship with your father up in Latrobe, much different than most of us. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship and how you got started in the game with your with your pop? Well, of course, we, I was born and raised here at the Latrobe Country Club, and my father uh, started working here when they were building the golf course, and he was 16 years old, and he became uh, the greenkeeper and later the pro, so I was raised right on the golf course and with him, and uh, that was... Uh, it was great because I had the opportunity to be close to him and uh, enjoy a lot of the stuff that he was doing and learn the game of golf and, and the principles by which he lived uh, while I was uh, uh, growing up. Can you explain or give us an idea of some of the things that your father taught you or tips that he might have given you as a young golfer? Well, uh, of course, he... He started me out pretty young. <laughs> I, was, I was about three or four years old, and he put the golf club in my hands and showed me how to grip it. And then he looked at me in that uh, stern look of his, and he said, and don't you ever change it. <laughs> I still grip it the same way, and that was uh, almost 80 years ago. <laughs> I read somewhere, too, that he also said, hit it hard, boy, right? <laughs> That's right. Hit it hard and go find it and hit it again. <laughs> well, a great junior career took you down to Wake Forest there. And a little known fact that a lot of people don't know, you joined the Coast Guard for a few years and honed your game there as well in the Coast Guard for a few years, correct? Well, that is correct. I was in the Coast Guard for three years and probably uh, one of the uh, three of the most productive years of my life because I kind of matured while I was in the Coast Guard, and, and that was good. And, and I suppose if you were talking to my father right now, he'd say he needed it, too. <laughs> and turned pro in 1955. That's correct. I won the amateur in 54 and uh, really decided that uh, I really wanted to make golf my life and uh, turned pro uh, November of of uh, 54 and, and started the tour in January of 55. And tour life back then was a little bit different than it is these days, correct? Well, it was different, although there was, a, there was uh, the same number of players in every tournament, but uh, it wasn't the, 
uh, depth in the in the talent that there is today, and uh, they were good, but there weren't as many of them that were real good as there are today playing golf, and that that's probably one of the big differences. Uh, I won't say that it was better uh, is better today than it was then, or vice versa, but it was certainly exciting, and and I feel very fortunate to have been able to uh, go out and do what I did after winning the amateur. The the thing that's easier now, obviously, is travel. And, and one of the things that I wanted to ask was back uh, the importance that you placed on the British Open as, a, as an American, because most didn't play after Hogan's win in 53 due to travel costs and low prize money. Well, that is true. And, and of course, it was, uh, it was difficult. But my father... Uh, was a pretty tough guy, and he said to me many times, he said, if you're going to be great and be uh, a, a really recognized great player, you have to play internationally and you have to win internationally. And, and of course, he put an emphasis on the Open Championship. And in the year 1960, when I went, it was at St. Andrews, which was very appropriate to be playing there in my first British Open. You started off on tour. You started getting it going pretty quickly. You won that first Masters, and it looked like in 1960, everything started coming together. You won the Masters again a couple weeks before that, right in our backyard. You won the Pensacola Open. But uh, leading up to Cherry Hills in 1960, seems like your game was really coming together. Well, it was. It was uh, good, and and it was kind of disappointing uh, after three rounds to be uh, in the position I was in, but I, I really felt good about my game, and uh, I thought that if I really had a good round, uh, that I had still had a chance. Well, as it turned out, uh, I got a very good start in that last 18 holes, and and uh, really got rolling, and and of course, as it turned out, I won by two shots, and. Probably played one of the best rounds of my life in that round. Yeah, let's talk about that day because it's a lot different today. Back then it was 36-hole final day, which was a a physical and a mental challenge. You shot 72 in the morning, and there's a lunch conversation, I believe, with you and Bob Drum that took place when you were trying to figure out what it might take for you to win this. Can you talk about that? Well, yeah. Well, Bob Drum was uh, a Pittsburgh guy and a newspaper reporter and, and a good friend, and as a matter of fact, uh, I did a lot of writing with Bob Drum and, and considered him a particular friend. And when I went in after the morning round, I saw him in the, in the locker room, and I, I was having a hamburger and getting ready to go for the afternoon. And I said to Bob, Bob, what do you think? If I shoot 65 this afternoon, would I have a chance? And he looked at me in a very sarcastic look and and he said, it wouldn't help you at all. <laughs> well, that really upset me, and I never finished my lunch. I got up and walked out and went to the practice tee and hit a uh, couple of drives, and they called me to the tee, and I went to the first tee at Cherry Hills and uh, drove it on the green and, and then made a whole string of birdies. And on the eighth hole, I remember very well uh, I had hit a shot into the green, and and here comes Bob Drum walking down the fairway. <laughs> for. 
And I looked at him and I said, what are you doing here? And, and of course, everybody laughed and uh, that was the beginning. You turned at 30 this, on that second round, the last day, put it all together. And, and what a finish it was. It was You were playing a couple of groups, I, I believe, ahead of Ben Hogan, right? No, I was right in back of him. Okay. Back. And uh, I was watching him in the water at 17, if you recall. And, uh, and you know, well, the tears weren't in my eyes, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw him have the trouble he had there. And, of course, then I felt pretty sure that I was going to be able to win the tournament if I could make a couple pars on the last two holes. Well, the good news is Bob uh, Drum was wrong. He shot 65 and won by two, correct? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Palmer, one more thing I wanted to ask you. I guess early in your career, there was another friendship. You had that deep bond with your father, but also with Mark McCormick. Talk about that and where that's taken you through the years for both of you. Well, uh, Mark McCormick uh, and I had played in college uh, against each other. He went to William & Mary, and I went to uh, Wake Forest. And, uh, and we had the opportunity to play against each other and, and to know each other. And a few years after I turned pro, Mark uh, came to me and said uh, he'd like to represent me. And, and I, we had some discussion about that. And he had another company that he was uh, putting together with golfers. And, of course, my idea of that was not uh, the same as his. And I said, well, if you want to represent me, you have to get rid of all those other people and just come with me. Well, actually, what happened, he did that. And then he came back and he says, okay. He says, I'll, it, it, I'll make a deal and represent you uh, on the tour. And I said, fine. And he said, I'll drop a contract and... He was an attorney, as you obviously know, and uh, the contract was to bring us together. And I said, no, you don't need to do that. I said, if you, if you want to represent me, you just tell me what you want to do, and I'll tell you what I want you to do, and we'll shake hands, and that'll be our contract. And we did that, and, and unfortunately... It didn't last very long, only 50 years. <laughs> I'm sure, Mark, and you came up with this. Where did the, the branding of the umbrella come from for the Arnold Palmer brand? Well, it, it, that's a good question because uh, when we were forming our companies and putting everything together in the late 59 and early 60, uh, we were searching for uh, uh, a emblem, something that we could use as our uh, signature emblem. And everything we checked in in Washington and uh, everywhere was taken, and a lot of people had offered us uh, various uh, uh, emblems, uh, such as a golf club's cross or, or, you know, anything you could think of. But they all wanted uh, pretty good money for that. And I'm a little frugal about things like that, so I never took any of the stuff. And and we were having a meeting in a hotel in Ligonier, Pennsylvania, and it was raining, and a lady got out of her car and had a number of it with multi-colors on it. And I immediately struck me as that might work. 
so we checked that out, and as it turned out, uh, it was not copyrighted, and no one owned it. Well, I've owned it ever since. I suggested that we do the umbrella and and do the colors, and, and the colors each represented uh, a division of our company, whether it was clothing, golf clubs, or and so on. And uh, we we copyrighted it around the world, and I own it today around the world, and and I'm very pleased because it has become symbolic of, of our business and the things that we represent. Thank goodness for a rainstorm, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Palmer, we can't thank you enough for your time today. We want to thank you again for what you've done for the game of golf. If it weren't for you, Kenny and I wouldn't be ah, in the yeah. business. And, uh, you know, I've always said if God ever told me that I had one round left to play, it'd, it'd be with a man on the other end of this phone. So I, I appreciate all you've done. And, uh, again, happy Father's Day to you, and thank you very much. Well, thank you guys very much. I hope to see you soon. Take care. Thank you very much. All right, Kenny, all I can say is, wow. I mean, it, it doesn't get much better than that. Oh, what a what a, what a great opportunity and a great man. That surely was a, a treat for all of us. It was. I mean, and, and he is a legend in golf and somebody that you I idolized growing up. Um, I mean, his passion for the game, the way he played the game, the swagger that he had was – uh, it was just like no other. And, and the, ti- the timing. He brought the game into our living rooms when uh, when it was black and white TV and, and you could just read about the tour maybe in a newspaper and whatnot. And, and he brought the game to the masses. Yeah. And, and in, in, the, in the studio where we do the podcast, there's there's pictures of, of Palmer in here from yeah. from back in the yeah. day. And it's just it's amazing to have just got off the phone with the guy. Yeah. yeah awesome. Thanks thanks so much again to Mr. Palmer for taking the time out and, and for the Palmer group for putting putting that whole interview together kenny lots going on at edwin watts golf it seems like there's always something going on something new some new email specials social media specials talk about how people can become engaged with us yeah you can obviously sign up to receive our regular email campaigns that go out uh, weekly with launch events sales that we have going on but a way to keep up with us uh, more consistently is obviously on our facebook page uh, or our twitter page Uh, if you like us on facebook we post on there all the time events that are going on uh, at local levels as well as well as a national level Um, and also some opportunities for some registered wins that are going on with facebook that might not be out there uh, for everybody to see so people are interacting with other golfers on facebook it's not just talking to us they're talking to each other it's a community um, and and that's really uh, i mean it's a social network and that's what it is. People want to be involved, and, and you know, if you have a question, a lot of people get involved and entertain and interact with each other, and, and uh, you know, it's something that we take a lot of pride in, and uh, we respect, uh, uh, you know, you wanting to be a fan of ours, and, and it's a it's a great way to just keep keep up with us on a daily basis. Yeah, well, the golf club companies we work with are so generous to us, and there's always something registered to win. There's really. It seems like now there's two places to register to win. First is on our homepage, where it seems like every week there's something new. Yeah, there there is. Um, there's obviously on our homepage we have a lot of register to win stuff. Uh, a lot of that's going through the Facebook application as well. Uh, and then also you, you can go to our podcast. Just go to edwinwattsgolf.com. On the, on the lower portion of, of the homepage uh, is a Golf Better icon. Click on that, and you'll come to the landing page for all of the podcast. Uh, and there's uh, a button on there, register to win. Uh, simply fill out the required information that we ask of you, and your name will be submitted for 
There's been some great stuff that we've given given away this year. Tremendous stuff. I mean, tremendous uh, range finders, complete sets of clubs, drivers, yeah, putter, yeah. everything. And then there's also an Ask Kenny button uh, if you want questions uh, that you want want to ask. And we do episodes uh, that are called Ask Kenny. That uh, to me is one of the the more fun aspects of the job because that's you guys wanting to know things and and no question is is a bad question. Yeah. There's and also there's there's three ways to shop with us. One is in our in our retail stores. The second is online at edwinwattsgolf.com. And the third is talk to one of our sales professionals at 1-800-874-0146. And even if you're not looking to buy anything, call that number, get engaged with them. And if you don't have a copy of our buyer's guide for 2011, you can request that and they'll get one right out to you. Yeah, correct. And these guys uh, that we have uh, on the other end of the call, whenever you call in, are very passionate about the game. They've been doing this for a very long time, uh, and they have the answers that you're looking for. Thanks again to everyone at the Palmer Camp and Mr. Arnold Palmer for taking time and joining us today. Kenny, thanks to you for sitting in with me again and to your listeners out there. Thanks so much for joining us, and join us next time. We have another exciting episode of Golf Better at edwinwattsgolf.com. So long, everyone.